Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am your host, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Hello, hello. Uh, So today, what are we talking about today? Um, What are we talking about today? Ooh, we're going to talk about what we like to see in our media and books. True, yes. In terms of queer folk. Yeah, queer representation in media. It's very important. Yeah, it is important, but like maybe not in the ways that we always hear. In That's my fair. opinion, do you want to do you want to start us off with some with some hot takes with some tea? <laughs> okay, my the hottest of my takes. So we'll start at the most controversial, and then we can kind of wind back from there. Let me start with my own personal biases. I don't watch TV really. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You don't. Um, I do, however, read like like an uncanny amount, though. Yes. So. A lot of my statements come from TV as it is filtered through Reddit and Tumblr and then enters my mind Mm -hmm. and the books I read. So I'll just throw that out there. But my hottest controversial take is that we do not, in fact, need less brutalization of queer people in media. We, in fact, just need more queer people in media to balance it out because queer people get brutalized in the real world. And so acting as though they don't get brutalized in media is its own problem. That's very fair. I think that is a hot take. I think that does. <laughs> I think I, I even I have that like knee jerk of like, nope. Mm. I know we we do we argue over this. We do, and I, but I mean I think that that is an important point. Is that you can't really, God, the term that keeps coming into my brain is whitewash, and it's not whitewashing, but it's straight washing is a thing. Cisette washing. Some yeah, some sort of washing. It's some some sort erasure. of erasure. It's some sort of erasure. It's an erasure of the struggles that LGBT people face if you just pretend like it doesn't exist. Right. But on the other hand, as queer folk, do we, should we need to be subjected to brutalization in the media that we consume ourselves? I think the important question that has to be asked is, is it aimed at cishet people broadly? And I use that term very broadly. Mm-hmm. That need to see an accurate portrayal because they might think that queer people can just move through this world happily and healthily and in secret behind closed doors and that's just a great existence because that's still a pervasive attitude Mm -hmm. or is this aimed at queer people who need to see happy free queer people because that is what we turn to fantasy for we turn to fantasy for escapism that's where we turn to media Mm -hmm. and so i think that there's such an outcry for that like nice happy fantasy escapism I want to see happy versions of myself on the TV because that's why we have TV. But I never hear the counterpoint that that would just be used against us. So I think the biggest the biggest example that's on my mind is Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. which I love. I love that show. It's one of the only shows that I've ever actually watched from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Actually, possibly the only show I've ever really watched from beginning to end. A lot of my at favorite least, shows are still going. At least of your own volition. I mean, we we watch television shows together. We occasionally. never finished one. It's true. 
I never finished Supernatural either because it got bad. That's the, the closest I would have come. That's great. I think that's know. how everybody feels about Supernatural. Facts. <laughs> we just lost four followers, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it comes and goes. Supernatural does come and go. I don't even watch it anymore, and I can tell you it comes and goes. Okay, we don't need to talk about Supernatural. That's not what this podcast is about. Uh, it has so much gay baiting in it, babe. <laughs> it does have a lot of queer baiting in it. That's true. But you were going to talk about Laverne Cox, yeah, not the blatant queer baiting in Supernatural. I think that she's a beautiful portrayal of a strong, wonderful trans woman in prison. And I think that that last statement, people tend to like forget or try to erase. They like want her to just be a strong, beautiful trans woman mm-hmm. living her best life. And for many of the seasons, she is. She has all sorts of things where people will try to say transphobic crap to her. And she's like, haha, no, I'm in charge. I run the hairdresser. And that is such a historic place of power, especially for black women like that. The, the, the salon is the social hub, right? And mm-hmm. she's in charge of it. That is such a beautiful place of power for her. And she's shown standing up to so much transphobia successfully and gracefully. And that's wonderful. And then people want to get angry because she does end up being brutalized. She does end up being attacked for being trans. She does end up being put in isolation to quote-unquote protect her, which is the guards also picking on her. So she's kept in isolation and not treated for her injuries. And that is horrible. Yeah. But it's also realistic. I mean, that she's a trans woman in prison. She's not going to have a beautiful, happy time. The fact that she was already on top of the social food chain is potentially unreasonable for the realities of prison. And... Yeah. And that's beautiful to see, and I love it, because, again, it is fantasy. But Orange is the New Black, especially in the later seasons, especially around the time that Laverne Cox is going through this plot arc, did so much to show the realities of women's prisons and show the realities of the overburdening of the prison system and show the realities of the Border Patrol and ICE and the detention centers. They had a whole plot arc on that in the last season. This show was trying to teach people something. And I don't think that it would have been valid for them to try to teach people something and also have a black trans woman as one of the leaders in a women's prison. Black trans women get murdered on the streets, much less in prisons. Yeah. And so while I hear the outcries of, you know, possibly in this case, predominantly black trans women who are afraid of going out on the streets and would like to watch a TV show in which they are happy. They see themselves reflected happily. What do you think all the people who don't believe that the actual real life statistics about black trans people being murdered would think about if that TV show also existed? Like they would right. just take it as more evidence. People already take Laverne Cox fame and existence for as that evidence. And yeah. she works really hard for her existence not to be used that way. But it's challenging yeah. because people will twist things. I think that part of the challenge of queer representation in a lot of media in that context is that it can be sort of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you want to give queer people, especially young queer people, this like really lovely, positive, loving representation that can give them the visibility so they can see that they're not alone in this way they're feeling and hope for their future. But on the other hand, you don't really want to paint a picture of a world that is post-homophobia, post-transphobia. You don't want to paint this picture of a world where those things don't exist. 
And I think that's a challenge. And I think the challenge in that is not in writing queer people themselves. It's just the challenge is in every portrayal of a queer person becomes the canon for that queer person and for that identity. But at the same time, again, if you look at the cold hard statistics about the murder of black trans women. Mm-hmm. Or the homelessness rates among queer youth. Right. These are not conversations that we can move past. And we cannot just shove our media into a place where queer people are happy and like hope the statistics will follow. Right. And I think kind of what we're what we're hammering at here with this idea of media representation and needing varied and nuanced stories is just that it's not that we need different queer representation. It's that we just need more. Right. Like linking it back to what I said earlier, where any problematic portrayal of a queer person mm-hmm. becomes the canon for that identity. I think of like yesterday we were trying to find a television show to watch that featured a non-binary character. Yeah. And, and Janet is not non-binary. Janet is not non-binary. <laughs> Um, sorry, the good place. Janet's not non-binary. I mean... That's where we landed. We tried to find a non-binary character, and Josie found a list, and that list included the good place. And I've been meaning to watch the good place for... since it came out. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up watching it knowing that Janet is not a non-binary character, and I don't think I would have been upset at Janet's existence, except for that she landed on a non-binary list. And I'm like, this is not a non-binary character. And I I think that there are some very specific reasons for that that we could probably go into in very much depth in future episodes. But when we were looking at that, you know, there was like all of these, this list of TV shows that had like a secondary character that doesn't really feature the main storyline. And there were a couple on the list that had some like real representation. I think of uh, One Day at a Time was on that list. And there is a non-binary character in that list that they do have relatively nuanced conversations about the character gender identity. And that's lovely. But they are still a secondary character in the narrative. So they aren't really the center focus. And so the one example that you see quoted in a lot of lists and articles as being like, oh, the non-binary representation right now is the Showtime show, I believe it's called Billions, with the non-binary uh, character who uses they, them pronouns and whose co-workers and managers and bosses all advocate for their, they, them pronoun use. And that is the okay. non-binary representation right now. Like that is the single main cast member who plays a non-binary character in a large television show. And there's also something that continually upsets me and part of the reason that I don't like a lot of the standard capital G gay media is somehow if you're going to write a TV show or even often a book about somebody being queer, that's it. That's what they are. There's your plot line. There's your, there's your story. There's your character development. They were less queer at the beginning of the book. And by the end of the book, they are fully out and happy queer. And that's it. And I'm like, can I just have, what if I want like a high fantasy novel in which, you know, all of the normal high fantasy novel things happen and somebody's queer yeah and like that is that's so rare and it's getting more and more common i i remember because i am involved in a lot of fantasy sci-fi stuff where i say in a lot of my like posts and bios and advocacy in those areas that i'm like well i want to bring a queer voice to fantasy sci-fi like i want to come in and be like no i write queer sff like qsff is my genre i don't write non-queer stuff and people are always like oh there's so much room for that right now in the fantasy sci-fi world people are writing so many gay and queer characters like have you read george R. R. martin it's like no yeah okay look here's the thing maybe you're talking about a just some white gay dude in a fantasy novel or like 
a kind of promiscuous chick who insinuates that she has slept with girls in the past. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about nuanced queer representation that doesn't focus on queerness. And like, that's still not really common. And if it was more common, people would know how to write it better and we'd see it more often. And the slightly problematic portrayals or openly problematic portrayals of queer people and the nuanced yet brutal treatment of queer people in media would not be as jarring. It wouldn't be as... Because nobody gets... I mean, Orange is the New Black is, again, (laughs) it's a show that's trying... And I'm talking about the last, like, let's say, three seasons. The, The... From where Pusey is murdered to the end of the show is actively trying to make a political statement. I mean, they murdered Pusey by having a white cop meal on her neck. Very important point here. Both Elle and I are white. Yes. So they they clearly, they, they decided they were going to make a statement about real world experiences. They were trying to make a statement. And nobody is mad about, even, I mean, everybody on that show pretty much is gay. I mean, truly, <laughs> um, of some variety or another. Nobody's ne- necessarily is mad about the gay white women who are also being brutalized throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Because there are other gay white women in media, to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> More so than black trans women, at least. And I will, I will point out, kind of as a counterpoint to that, that there was, what was that, 2015, the summer of the dead lesbians, when every single television show that had a female love interest decided to all at once kill off all of their love interests. Yeah. And that's where we got all the stuff with Klexa and um, Orphan Black almost did it. Like, it just, it was a huge thing where suddenly... Everybody started burying their gaze. But even but but Orange is the New Black in and of itself creates an impossibility of doing that because again, like truly, almost everybody on the show is at at the very least like like lipstick lesbian esque, as in they are in a prison full of women are and are willing to fuck other women in that setting, mm-hmm. which is a valid orientation. <laughs> and many of them are truly lesbian and were lesbian before they went into the prison and are. Would you, wouldn't you know it, still gay. <laughs> yeah. They couldn't bury all their gays. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like people are mad about Laverne Cox's portrayal because people out in this world still don't realize that black trans women are murdered. Like... Disproportionately. Wildly disproportionately. And, like, regularly. It's like, if you do the math out, it's, like, once every week or something. We were just listening to Code Switch talking about this. Yeah. Like, it's unbearably tragic how often black women are murdered. I think that's part of the reason that people aren't aware of it, is it is truly emotionally unbearable to hold that. Mm -hmm. And you can tell, I think that you can tell that story of, hey, everybody should be aware of this real life brutalization that's happening and we were reflecting it in this media portrayal. You should be able to tell that story and also for the black trans women or black gender expansive people or just general gender expansive people who are watching the media and are like, wow, I live that experience and I don't want to see it on TV. They should be able to go watch a show like, I think I've heard that Pose is a really lovely series. There should be that option. And also, here's another, here's another one of my hot takes. It's not nearly as hot. It's not nearly as controversial. I don't know why this isn't just happening. They should have a censored, quote-unquote, version of the episodes in which Laverne Cox gets brutalized that have those scenes that she's being brutalized and that she is all cut up out. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I think that that is... I mean, that gets into the idea, the area of, like, contact warnings, trigger warnings, you know, timestamps, and that's all just, like, 
you can just make the world friendlier. I mean, I even think of, I think of like Sense8, which has the, the one of the first depictions of a trans woman that I ever really connected with because it was the first time I'd seen a lesbian trans woman in media, which really, really closed a lot of gaps for me in terms <laughs> of gender identity. <laughs> But even even Nomi Marks in Sense8, like the entire first season revolves around her family attempting to get her a lobotomy because of her gender identity. And that's brutal. That's distressing to watch now looking back, even though I do connect really heavily with Nomi and her storyline. I think that she is a beautiful trans character. But Netflix is out here. Netflix is out here making choose your own adventure TV shows. I don't want to fucking hear that Netflix can't give me a second episode that doesn't have, like, truly, and they could, I use the word censored, not because I think that that's the most accurate word, but I think that that's, like, a flashy word that they can use to kind of satisfy both sides. Like, people who don't think that this should be happening are like, that's censorship, and then Netflix can be like, yeah, okay, it is. Here's the censored pilot episode that doesn't have any suicide attempts in it. Yeah. You'll have to look up a plot summary to figure out exactly what's happening, because we're not going to, we're not going to, like, reshoot scenes for you. But we'll just cut it out. We do that already with movies and <laughs> music to make kid-friendly versions. And I, I, I hear the, I can already hear the Netflix side argument of this that like, okay, but like if we cut out suicide scenes, like where does it stop? Like what do we not cut out? What about when people want to cut out gay sex? I hear it. I hear that argument. I do. But I feel like there are some things that have gotten such like clapback when they've been portrayed I'm currently thinking about the suicide scenes specifically because that wasn't like one group of people. Schools banned 13 reasons for why. Parent groups like PA groups and um, like various GSA type like statewide and national organizations banned 13 reasons why. They were like, do not let your children watch this. It is harmful. There was mass outcry across like pretty much all the boards. Like some people really like 13 reasons why. Don't get me wrong. Like there is still a following for it, and that's fantastic. But, like, people came out across the board against it. And then Netflix went and made another show that has not one but two suicide scenes in it? I'm confused. I We haven't watched The Politician. I wanted um, to. We were going to, and then we looked it up because they had the content warning at the beginning of their first episode. Which was unclear. Which was unclear as what was happening. And from what I read online, it is there is a successful suicide in the first episode, and that is closely related in the same episode to a flashback to an unsuccessful suicide attempt. But, like, why? I just... I think that the closest correlation to we shouldn't show on-screen suicides for the queer community is we shouldn't show young adolescents specifically being brutalized, and especially we shouldn't show them being brutalized by their parents. We shouldn't mm -hmm. show young specifically impressionable adolescent minds that the adults of their world might be against them. I think that that's the closest. I don't think that the closest comparison to the suicide scenes is Laverne Cox. I think that the closest comparison is maybe more like Naomi. I've never seen the show, but maybe more like if her parents were trying to get her lobotomized. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's a, Sensei is a very lovely and complicated sci-fi show. And yes, right. a lobotomy was involved in the first season. So that sounds like the more direct comparison to me because that is so potentially trying to young adolescent folk mm -hmm. who maybe don't have the choice, don't have like the wherewithal, like to avoid watching Laverne Cock brutalization or avoid watching, you know, I do a lot to make sure I don't see suicide scenes in 
uh, media. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I also do a lot to make sure I don't see people throwing up in media. So I don't know. I'm out here trying to avoid <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so I think about the best representation I've ever seen of particularly a young queer kid getting kicked out the house mm-hmm. for being young and queer, being completely right cut off from their parents. And that happened in the first chapter of a book called I Wish You All the Best. It's phenomenal. Um, By Mason Deaver, I believe. And that was the first chapter. It was like one trauma and then the whole book was aftercare about how it's still okay. The kid ends up having a, a, a wonderful life. I think wonderful is not an oversimplification. It was a happy ending. because They find happy adults who are willing to love them. And I think that therein lies the point, right? Yeah. It's not a story in which all adults are bad. Mm-hmm. And you can skip the details. Because I don't think that... I don't try to avoid all media that refers to suicide. I'm just out here being like, I really don't need the visual on it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So I think that what we're kind of coming at here, we have two different pillars of how we look at queer representation in media. The first pillar is that we need more. Yes. Because if we have more than the emotionally trying or the slightly problematic or the less nuanced portrayals that will get lost in the weeds or we'll just be able to be like, wow, that was a very nuanced portrayal of a really sad story. I am now going to go and watch one day at a time and feel really good about that quince scene. And I, I think that that's, I think that for pillar one of this, like the point is we can then, we can have fantasy queer storylines where queer people are out here living their absolute best weird sci-fi wonderful lives where nobody has to give a shit about the fact that they are queer because it's the future or it's magic and you can make it up right beautiful i love it and then we can also have um shows like orange is new black who are trying to make political statements and they're therefore based in the less savory parts of the reality that we live in and you, then you can go to Netflix and be like, hmm, do I feel like learning something new tonight that might be painful? Or do I feel like living in a fantasy world? And both those options will be available to you. Yeah. And the other pillar of our uh, opinion is those important shows that do portray some kind of brutalization or portray a hard, a harsh reality, especially if the trauma is localized put a timestamp on it. People still maybe want to watch the healing process or watch a triumphant story of overcoming that situation without actually seeing the situation play out in real time in front of them. And, and like, consider not showing it. And consider not showing it. Consider an off-screen... I mean, that was one of the other things about I Wish You All the Best is they never actually show Ben getting kicked out of their house. That's true, yeah. They start a conversation with their parents and then the next chapter is they are out on the street mm-hmm. calling their sister and there's occasional yeah. allusions to what happened but there's never a full flashback there's never a here is the traumaticest moment in my character's life please i think that there is i think that just a little bit push out, i think that there is some of that conversation i think that there is enough because there's yes. enough that i didn't want to share with my friend that's true that's born. true because there was some like specific language that the parents used yes against them Yes. But you're right. Yeah, there is no, you never know exactly how mm-hmm. the queer character gets out of the house, for instance. There is like the beginning of a conversation and then a flash forward to calling their sister. Yeah. It's not necessarily good writing to make your reader uncomfortable. Right. Or to make your viewer uncomfortable. So consider if you just say what happened. Mm-hmm they'll probably fill in the blanks. They've seen enough of those stories to know what it looks like when a queer kid gets kicked out of the house. Like, you don't... And, 
like you you can say I feel like what that book did well was it showed enough of that conversation to show not tell right mm-hmm. I remember my high school writing classes to show how painful it was and then once it's shown that it was painful it was like and we're done like we don't need any more of this pain because mm-hmm. I think about the counter example one of the worst representations of queer specifically non-binary folk that I've read which included um I do believe three different scenes of people trying to get this non-binary person's pants off to see what they had in their pants i.e creepy creepy gender expansive rapey space yeah three do we really need do we need three of those scenes described in detail I don't think we do did we need one (laughs) like and again maybe we do need one maybe this is like the big trauma that like defines their experience i know i have a big trauma that like defines my high school experience right like i think that that's valid and maybe we need to show a little bit of it to like you know get the story going Mm -hmm. but do we need three once we have one if there are supposed to be more of those experiences why not just be like it happened again (laughs) like do we need to describe them all yeah that's not even that's not censorship that's just like hey think about who is reading your book right and think about why they're reading it i mean there comes a point in things like that book, um, Symptoms, of Symptoms of Being Human. I don't remember the author's name. That's okay. Uh, frankly, it is okay. Maybe we'll talk about the book itself someday. And, like, we go into we, we definitely areas. should do like specific book reviews for all of these. But this is we just should. like the general themes that yeah. we see across the media that we take in. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of things to say about Symptoms of Being Human. <laughs> but think about who you're writing that for. Because like, are you writing it for non-binary people? Because if you're writing it for non-binary people, then... Why are you trying to traumatize them? And if you're writing it for cis people or binary people, why do you think they need to see that three times? And are they seeing it in a way that is going to be, wow, that's terrible. And like, kind of, I mean, like that, that gets into like that kind of idea of like trauma porn, torture porn. Like. And what's notable is the author very blatantly, because I doubt that he saw this as a problem. Author, by the way, is a white cis man. Who's surprised? Not me. <laughs> he specifically said in the in the afterword of it that he wrote this book because he heard about a trans person killing themselves and his cis friends didn't like really know or care about that and he was like cis people should know and care more about trans folk who killed themselves and then wrote a book about a non-binary person and then wrote a book about a (laughs) non-binary person in a very binary way from what you've told me it was the whatever we need a whole review on this book but I think what's really interesting is I think it was probably that book because of the afterward where he was so blatantly like, I wrote this for cis people to understand that trans people kill themselves. And, and may- maybe why? I think maybe he had a little bit of that. He absolutely is the authority on why. I will say he definitely knows the transgender experience. And clearly because he knows the transgender experience so <laughs> well, it's fluid. basically the same as knowing the gender fluid experience. <laughs> We need to all review on this book. Anyway, <laughs> but I think what's interesting is that that reading that and reading his afterward did, that was, I think, where my idea of like thinking about who you're writing for came from. Because yeah. he did. He set out to try to convince cis people that trans people have a bad time. And you know, he didn't do that because his book didn't have any trans people in it. <laughs> but he did successfully, he probably successfully convinced some people that gender expansive people have a bad time. And maybe there's space for that. I would be more willing for there to be space for that if, well, if that was better written. But also, more importantly, if there is happy, happy, gender expansive people yeah. out here as well. Yeah. So, 
this has been like an overview of our thoughts on the general pool of queer literature and mm-hmm. queer media, rather, and how we kind of approach thinking about queer media. Right. I definitely, as you can tell, probably, <laughs> will be needing to dive into the various lesbian chick books that I've read. Uh, the symptoms being human, I can give just a straight TED talk on that if you're if you're so interested. Yeah, we may it may be it may be an episode that we might do where Josie just oh hmm, yeah okay I actually no yeah continue yeah. <laughs> And so Netflix recently had that documentary disclosure. Right. And that can be it's a whole long discussion as well. Right. Because, because it was. It didn't hit Josie and I, right? It, yeah. I. Basically. I think it's the bottom line. That there. was the bottom line. Why wasn't an hour about the history of trans people being brutalized? And why did we watch so many clips about trans people being brutalized? Why? Or being degraded or being the butt of jokes. Emotionally and... brutalized is yeah. what I will put that under. Yes. So. But they made a comment, <laughs> but I think I tuned out after, and it only it happened like forty five minutes into it. But I was angry, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is this is an issue that I'm aware of. I tend to get very defensive when I enter spaces that are talking specifically about binary trans folk and their struggles because those spaces feel like they should include me and my struggles, and they don't. And maybe that's maybe I shouldn't feel entitled to that space. Maybe I should be more empathetic to my fellow queer person's struggle. However, it makes it really hard when things are said like non-binary people have a lot of privilege because we are not portrayed in the media at all, as opposed to binary trans folk being portrayed negatively. And I just feel like that's some comparison that just doesn't need to happen. Both of those suck. And it was it was a throwaway line in the movie as and it like was the a... only time anything other than binary trans identities were mentioned. But more to the point of this this episode. I think that it's interesting that there are clearly people out there who think that it is better to have no portrayal than just brutalization. Mm -hmm. And I think at the very least, negative portrayal is an admittance that people exist. Mm -hmm. I think especially the early trans portrayals were really problematic where it wasn't actually portrayals of trans people. It was just portrayals of men dressing in dresses and being laughed at. That was, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about later stage um, that this documentary was showing of trans people being not accepted, but then going on and being trans somewhere else that hopefully they were accepted. That in and of itself is a problematic portrayal that at least acknowledges the existence of trans Mm. people. Yes. It is step, like, 0.005. Like, we are one step. We're almost (laughs) ready to take that first step of just unapologetically happy trans people. Right. Like, we're almost ready to say they exist. Like, we're saying they exist somewhere. Yeah. You know? And it's not good. Like, I I don't want to be misconstrued. Like, it is not positive. It is not a privilege to be brutalized in the media. Yeah. Nah. (laughs) But it, it is an admittance of of it being a thing that can happen somewhere at least. Yeah. You know? I think that I think that part of what would be important here in terms of like both what you're saying that like it's nice that it's acknowledged that trans people exist in media and also to what the people in disclosure were saying that like it's nice that non-binary people have not had to deal with being directly attacked to their gender identity for the last 60 years of film history. There's a middle ground there where it's just like hey maybe we should stand together as gender expansive folks and demand better treatment of both sides of this and not compare traumas. But I, oh, yes. And I do feel like it isn't, it's not a comparison of traumas, it's just a different type of trauma. 
trauma. I think that yeah. trans folk are more likely to be like right actively written against in laws. For instance, all the bathroom law nonsense that's yeah. still probably ongoing, but it's just not in the media as much anymore. And again, the murder rates, for instance, and that's one example that is one type of the trauma and not better or worse than the also very real trauma that we don't know the non-binary murder rates because that's not a thing you don't track that that doesn't exist yeah or when people are asked to use they them pronouns it's not that they them pronouns have been written out of the law but people don't think that they exist people are like that's fake yeah (laughs) people are like why would you want to do that that doesn't exist i mean it's just a different type of trauma or the erasure of countless pre-colonial gender uh third through fifth gender identities right in the world like yes yes exactly like that's the sort of thing and it's and it is it's just it is a different type of trauma and comparing them is useless (laughs) and the answer to both is more representation yes that's the bottom line we just need more (laughs) so if you want to write a book or a tv show or a play or a poem or a movie or literally anything a podcast a podcast put gender expansive people in it and give us more ways to see ourselves and hey yo if you don't know how to do that josie writes a blog about it i do write a blog about it it is called queering the narrative if you want to look up how to write just any queer person that you don't know how to write already i either have written about it or will write about it and specifically if you want to write non-binary people first off i see that ask on r slash non-binary all the time second off yeah, we'll probably make a Discord sometime. Hit me up. I love talking about it. Yeah, yeah. I go that. I mean, I've got a non-binary character in the novel I'm working on right now, and I constantly hit you up for advice on how to portray them because right. not that I am the voice of non-binary, but I am a voice of non-binary, and again, that's better than most portrayals of media. Right well, yeah, now. because people. I mean, then you get things where people are like, Janet is such good non-binary representation. And it's like, no, she's falling into a trope of she's a robot. Not having a gender is not an acceptable way to show that the character is inhuman. Boom. Done. That's it. That's true. (laughs) That's not good representation. And you can learn that if you read my blog, because it is in my tropes to avoid posts about non-binary people. And also in it's, I mention it, I think every time I talk about non-binary people in any of my writing is I'm like, they're human people. Right. Literally equating not having a gender with being inhuman is right. Equal sign goes both ways. So that means that you're saying people who don't have a gender are also inhuman. That's not kind. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. So in the future, if there's any interest, and possibly if there's not interest because we just want to do it, we'll probably end up doing some specific queer book reviews. So, you know, let us know if... Music for Gender Journeys, composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes, or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys, or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon. Josie.